What's up, Internet? You're tuned in to episode 256 of The Comics Pals, a weekly comic book podcast where a group of comic book journalists and friends come together to talk about comics because we don't talk enough about them in our daily lives. It's close. It felt wrong. It did. It was close, but it... Some, I, just, in the middle, yeah. I was like, I said one of these things in the wrong order. Like, yeah. some, I got lost along the way there. <laughs> listeners, listeners, I can already read your mind. Do not touch that dial. Just because Sean isn't here doesn't mean that the show won't be good. As a matter of fact, I'll make you a promise right now. I know you're thinking that these three goofballs are going to crash the ship into an iceberg like the Titanic. That's, yeah, that's kind of what I've been thinking. <laughs> but listen, I will be the one to keep the ship right. I'll be the serious one that doesn't make jokes today. You can tell because my voice went down half an octave. Yeah, it did. Wow. I'm the serious pal today. I mean, do you want to host the show then, Phil? No. You sure? <laughs> no. He's he's got every he's got the whole script laid out for it if you want it. I did all the work already. I did all the hard parts. Nope. Okay. All right. So uh in the interest of a very, very serious show then, why don't we just jump right into the pals polls, you know? Wow. Of course, you know, the Palace Pulls, the weekly segment where we talk about what comics we're excited for next week. I feel like on a comic book podcast, right? That we're trying to be all business. This is the perfect that you know we just talk right about the comics. Just jump right into it. I don't leave any space for a bad improv bit, you know? Just let's get right in there. Let's be serious pals. Well, in the note of a serious podcast, are you sure you shouldn't tell people where they can find us first? <laughs> I mean, I don't know, Kale. Should I? Is that is that you think that's I'm just saying if you're if you're trying to be like of course, Sean, this and is do the, the comics, pals. Uh, and like I said, it's a weekly comic book podcast. You can find it all over the web. Whoa, it just got a lot darker in it, here all of a sudden. It looks this... like Gengar behind you. Yeah, I know. Like the sun just disappeared. <laughs> that's the ghost of Sean because he's like, you have to do the plugs. So here, I'm going to turn the light on. Okay, there we go. All right, so you can find us all around the web. The show posts on Monday mornings. Uh, wherever you get your podcasts, we are there. Uh, if you want to support the show, please give it a like. Share it with a friend who reads comics. We are here every week talking about all the goings on of the industry, as well as all your favorite characters, wherever you can find them. Uh, and, you know, we do a lot of other cool stuff. You know, we've got our weekly comic book reviews every Wednesday, day and date. We have our Image Comics reviews drop on Thursdays. We have our uh, Marvel in DC and Boom and all the other stuff that we have to pay for we do on thursdays and uh you can also catch uh the current season of we watch which is our review show where we check out you know kind of whatever piece of superhero media is hot at the time right now we are reviewing what if uh which on the last episode i incorrectly thought was the last one of the season um so uh yeah. just fucking say anything won't you yeah well you know that's why sean's the, the host you know i'm just i'm supposed to be you know I, Maybe the second guy off the bench. Maybe the third guy off the bench. The starter, though? Come on. Come Does, on. Yeah, it doesn't mean you have to have correct information at all. No, Listen, shoot from the hip, you know? It was the spirit of the show. You thought, what if this is the last episode? What if, you know? Mm. <laughs> but and anyway, you could... Oh, nope, go ahead, Kale. Go ahead. No, go ahead. We, go ahead. we might live in a utopia if it were the last episode. <laughs> What if that were the last Marvel property to ever come out? Oh. What if Kale could go to heaven? You know, while we're on the subject of alternate universes and, and timelines and things like that, I, I just imagine, like, if we could show Kale back in 2008, 2010, you know, what a crusty old grouch he's become in this timeline, you know? 
No, I no, think, no. Pete, I think Pete, Pete. 2010 is actually when it happened. That's when you started? Genuinely, I think I know the moment. Pete, we wouldn't, we shouldn't do that. This is a suicide prevention podcast. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Okay, from that one, I'm pivoting us into the Pals Pulse. So these are the comics that we're most excited to check out this week. Kale uh, started things off with Sword by Al Ewing, uh, Valerio Shidi. What's what's up with Sword? Yeah, so Sword is uh, it's the Space X Men, uh, and this is the the Hickman the Hickman era Space X Men done by Al Ewing uh, with the art by uh, Valerio Shidi. Incredible stuff. Strong elevator um, pitch. St- st- I mean, it's a strong, strong creative team, strong era to be this creative team. I'm in. Cool. I've heard a lot of good things about it too. So, you also had Death of Doctor Strange. This I'm not excited about, but I felt <laughs> silly uh, not doing it. Um, I guess Wait, this why? is it because. I don't know. It just it just felt silly. It's the only the only other thing that piqued my interest in a way that I could have an opinion about. And my okay. opinion is I'm not excited about it. Uh, <laughs> done by uh, Jed McKay and Lee Garbett. Um, I don't know. We'll see what's up. Okay. <laughs> Riveting uh, endorsement, my man. What incredible commentary from Kale. <laughs> yeah. Truly the best of us. Who who could say that we have the C team here today, okay? Yep. Uh, <laughs> so Phil and I both picked Moon Knight number three. That's right. Jed McKay uh, writing and Alessandro Capuccio doing the art. Uh, this has been excellent. I think Moon Knight in many ways, like Daredevil, it's just like there isn't a bad run. And so far, these three issues have been quite good on the cover uh you can see uh uh, what's his name hunter's moon or something he's like the anti-moon knight who's gonna like kind of restore the justice of khonshu he's like the left hand right was the thing yeah yeah oh it's very exciting and what what's been going on with moon knight 2 has been very very exciting he's like really leaning into being like this high priest of khonshu um yeah i'm really excited for this issue i i really love this book um, I have never like been a Moon Knight person. Like he's a character who uh, I think Tyler and I reverse engineered and figured out. I think I had read the Bendis Malieve stuff when it was coming out back in the that was day. Okay. That was okay. Um, and that was like a f- I was like you know a friend of mine who I used to go to the shop with every week was pulling it and like we would trade books. So it's like I kind of casually was checking it out. Um, mm. But my biggest exposure to the character was in like Marvel Ultimate Alliance or something like that, you know, and I was just <laughs> like, he's fucking weird and very cool in premise, but had never really taken the plunge. Um, and for like as a new reader, I feel like this this ish, or, um, this run has been really uh, new reader friendly. Like it does a good job of kind of selling you on Moon Knight, but also I think contextualizing him a little bit and giving like giving me information about his background and what's happened in other runs without it feeling like expository, you know? Um, so I, mm. I've really dug that. It, it, this book has made a fan um, of out of me. I and, think it's worth going back to previous Moon Knight runs from this past decade. I mean, I kind of feel Ellis's, like I want to now. Warren Ellis's brief run was excellent. And um, I, in many ways, that's the run that launched Declan Shalvey as being the premier artist that he is. And then uh, the subsequent Jeff Lemire run, both of which are very short. Are, they were both excellent. Cool. I'll have to check them out. 
Yeah, and for what it's worth, we've been reviewing this over on our weekly comic book reviews. If you want to go check that out, um, this has been one of Tyler's favorite books of the year. Um, and I know he's a huge Moon Knight fan, so if that means anything to you, uh, definitely worth checking out, I think. Uh, so I also had Radiant Black number eight. Um, that's, of course, Kyle Higgins and Marcelo Costa. Um, this book has definitely been like kind of peaks and valleys, but you know, I, I've been interested with where it is now that the team is kind of getting together and we're starting to establish more dynamics. Um, this is an issue I've been looking forward to, and uh, we're also going to be reviewing this one on uh, our image reviews this week. So go check that out. Um, yeah, check out again. So that'll be Radiant Black on Wednesday. We'll have a review for Moon Knight on Thursday as well. So go check those out. I appreciate that you've really stuck to your guns on Radiant Black, Pete. We're eight issues in the entire time. You've been like, that's pretty good. Yeah, it is pretty good. You know, like that's the thing is it's not blowing my skirt up, but like I like it enough to give it the rope to see if it's going to get where I think it could get. Yeah, we'll see. Could be good. Could be good. <laughs> somebody's somebody's trying to make up for for missing it last week what's up oh you know <laughs> speaking of which actually uh we got we're jumping into the listener mail now um because i'm hosting the show so things are in a weird order this week um this one comes from snake of talons on episode 254 which was uh the episode where we discussed al bennett uh or i'm sorry Al Ewing responding to the Joe Bennett controversy Uh, and Snake of Towns wrote in and said, I refuse to believe Phil missed that layup for one of the oldest jokes on the show. My headcanon is that he missed it on purpose to give a twist to the classic. I have no idea what he's talking about. I think it's I I don't I I have no idea what he's talking about. I always make layups. Really? Yeah, it's kind of my thing. Interesting. I always make layups. I always boop the alley. That's your thing? That's your thing of all the things? Yep. Open the alley. Hoop, there it is. Okay. Well, there you go, I'm the serious one today. Yeah, of course. No no shenanigans on this episode. This is a very <laughs> serious podcast. We never, ever, ever make jokes. We don't talk about funny books. Not once, not ever. No, comics are very serious, okay? <laughs> Speaking of which, these next two uh, comments came from some of our comic book reviews uh, from the last two weeks. This one came from last week's reviews uh, where we talked about I Am Batman. And Justin wrote in and said, if you want to get a better feel for Jace Fox, his origins are covered in the next Batman Second Son miniseries. Yeah, that was something that Marco and I had kind of... Um, not even necessarily express frustration with, but I think we're we're surprised when we came into this book because um, it's kind of we we it was pitched as a number one and there was a zero issue of this. So I'm like, OK, so there's been one zero issue. How much could they have established or whatever? Right. But apparently there's been a lot of Jace Fox storytelling <laughs> going on in the background, as Tyler uh, told us all about. So, um, yeah, it, I definitely feel like if you go into I am Batman, you're going to feel a little bit lost. Um, I thought it was a alternate universe because of what was happening in Gotham. And like, there's this like weird, like almost like uh Marvel 2077 thing where there's this like weird police force that like has Gotham locked down and is trying to kill all the vigilantes. And like, it, it has like a weird kind of like, that energy to it a little bit you know like that like weird dystopian police state kind of vibe it's very mm. weird mm. 
Marvel 2077, huh? Oh, sorry. Um, 2099. I'm thinking Cyberpunk. <laughs> You'll just fucking... Do you... <laughs> Do you know anything? No. Okay. You just come on here and you just you just talk. It's just, yeah. it doesn't matter. Nope. It's a twenty three year difference, Kale. <laughs> okay, Kate's, take that 23 twenty three year difference into a comic book shop. Pete, it might. Uh, Kale, listen. It might be lucky if Pete, you or I are even alive by twenty seventy seven. Let alone twenty ninety nine. Not making hey, it. I'm never gonna die. Yeah. Well, good. You know what? Um, remember me unfondly, Kale. I won't. Okay. The cycle comes from LJ Panther. This was on the previous uh, week, I believe, where we reviewed uh, Black Manta, number one. And they wrote in and said, The point of the series is to introduce Black Manta as a serious standalone supervillain slash antihero with his own supporting cast and rogues gallery. The writer Chuck Brown has characterized Black Manta perfectly in an issue and a half counting the story from Aquaman 80th anniversary. The setup in the 80th book and book one is so strong, Black Manta could become the premier anti-hero in the DCU. Yeah, I said it. Read the book and look at some of the past events and the books that's coming. It ain't safe no more. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you dig it, uh, LJ. You seem like you're definitely a big Aquaman fan. I know the, uh, Tyler, Sean, and I, who, who checked out that, um, that issue, were a little bit cool on it like the the art was really solid but i just i didn't find a lot to grab onto in the issue like it felt like it was a little bit um like you say the thing right like they want to establish him as like a bit of an anti-hero and it felt like a book that was trying to do that but it also had him like fucking just straight up murder a bunch of people and then like leave a bunch of people who were like being captured by pirates to be sold as slaves and they were like a bunch of like battered women and and like starving children and he's like fuck these kids and i'm like that's not a guy i want to root for like that's not anti-hero energy (laughs) but it felt like it also wanted to humanize him and for me that was a tough uh pill to swallow i guess Move over, Harley Quinn. Move over, Lobo. There's a new anti-hero in town, and he's got a bucket on his head. Yeah, right. you know what? Bucket, now that you on. say that... He has a very cool helmet, all right? I'm not going to lie. I was going to make fun of an Aquaman villain being the next anti-hero, but if we've had Clown Girl and um, the motorcycle mime being you know, big anti-heroes, I think Black Manta will fit right in. You're right. Great. <laughs> Okay. All right. You you heard it here first, folks. All right. So the last comment uh, of the day comes from Garrett Harshman over on the What If episode. He said, there are three, still three episodes left to go. And to that, I say, that's not what Wikipedia said at the time. Kale, you want to take this one? School didn't apparently teach Pete anything. Nope. Anybody can put anything on Wikipedia. Yeah, that's right. And Pete apparently will just take everything at face value. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. So anyway, speaking of what if, let's jump into the news. Uh, Mark Millar uh, made some headlines this week uh, when the um, you know the fifth episode came out. It was what if zombies. He got a little bit, uh, I guess, nostalgic and was kind of um, talking about the role that he played in in developing Marvel Zombies as a as a concept. And uh, he threw out the tidbit that he claims that a Marvel Zombies live action treatment is somewhere in the works. So um, this was in a uh, in his newsletter. So it's like part of a longer conversation about Marvel Zombies, but I'm just going to read the part that's relevant to this uh, this bit of the story. So 
uh, he's talking about the popularity of Marvel Zombies, and he said they also spawned zombie cover months, toys and statues, endless Marvel Zombie cosplayers, and now not only this What If episode, but also, if my sources are correct, a little live-action Marvel Zombies further down the line. But you never heard that from me. As I should have remembered when this got bumped at that meeting, zombies never stay dead. So, of course, uh, the two of you are, are, in fact, the worst people in the entire Comics Pals canon to discuss this with me because I don't believe you've watched What If and you've missed 100% of our reviews. So I'll catch you up real quick. One of the things that we've been talking about over on that show is that a lot of the episodes either kind of casually or explicitly leave, um, leave an open door for a, a continuation of the stories in season two, right, which we know is already coming. Um, one of the things that we've kind of talked about a few times is throwing out the theory of is it possible that what if is being used to set up and establish um, some of these alternate versions of characters to have them then come back on the board in the live action MCU to some degree um, and I think that there's there's probably a decent argument to be made for that and I know if you look at the um there was the the Doctor Strange scenes in the Spider-Man uh, trailer. There's like I think a Doctor Strange who looks a lot like the one from the the What If episode. So, um, yeah, his name's Benedict Cumberbatch. Yes. Uh, so <laughs> now funny. with this this you know statement coming from Mark Millar, I I wonder if that is kind of. You know, maybe not a loose confirmation, but at least another uh, another feather in the cap of that theory of the idea that some of these what if characters are going to be rolled into the MCU proper, whether it's you know in a cameo or otherwise. Uh, I I've been very outspoken, and I really, outside of like major Avengers movies, I really don't. I'm not a huge fan of like the cross pollination and Marvel movies too much. I like it when it's a little more self-contained unless, you know, it, it's an event that lends itself to that. Like civil war, obviously was an occasion where that lent itself to it, but like Spider-Man movies have a lot of it. Um, Shang-Chi just had a little bit of it. I, I like it more when it, it's feel it's a little more grounded. Um, and you have a Doctor Strange movie where a bunch of zombies show up or something. Uh, don't know how I feel about that. Um, especially since it's just something explored in a, in a streaming show, you know, that I don't know if everyone's watching. That, that's kind of the risk I feel like we're, we're teetering on when, we, when we're going to lean too heavy on, on streaming shows. It was the same thing everyone was worried about with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on ABC. Not that it mattered because they didn't really care about that show being in continuity with the rest of the MCU. Um, but if they don't do that and they decide they'd rather do a Marvel zombies TV show or movie. I just wonder how much oil is in the canvas there because that was like tapping into a Marvel publication was tapping into like a craze at the time. Like zombies were hot, not just mm -hmm. like, not just in walking dead, but like the zombie survival guide book was like a thing that every teenager and yeah. first person in early twenties had world war Z. I Zombieland. think it was, yeah, it was just so much zombie stuff in pop culture in like the late two thousands, early 2010s that at this point it's a little antiquated. Cause I don't know how many, how, how culture, I don't know how much, relevancy is in that but i don't know maybe i'm wrong so my oh i'm sorry go ahead Kale. 
come off the top. Well, I've got two thoughts. Yeah. Um, I don't think there would be a full Marvel Zombies movie. That's what I was going to say. Okay. I think, I think, you know, there's, there's history with like uh, the Fantastic Four um, in that universe, if I recall correctly. It actually originates in Ultimate Fantastic Four, yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, and I think that was Mark Millar and Greg Land, if I'm if yep. I'm not mistaken. Yeah, you're um, right. Uh, so, you know, there, uh, I've seen theories floated around that, you know, the What If series could be where the Fantastic Four comes from in whatever manner. Um, but I think, I think that's where we're more likely to see it less so in a full feature and more in a, you know, return to that reality, I guess. Yeah. That's kind of what I'm thinking is not less that this means that like that Marvel zombies is going to get a, its own movie or its own show or something like that. But like the quote is specifically, he says, uh, but if my sources are correct, a little, live action marvel zombies further down the line right so in mm. my mind i'm thinking that 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 it's like a, a cameo type thing like you brought up multiverse of madness phil right i don't think it's necessarily going to be that like the marvel zombies just show up in that movie i'm imagining it's going to be a movie or like a, uh, an event or something about traversing the multiverse and then I mean- Make a cameo? Well, and like maybe they end up in that universe, right? Where it's like somehow or another. Yeah. And I, I could see that in Multiverse of Madness or in Loki, right? Because those are both properties that we've seen where someone say. is going to an alternate universe. And the idea that like maybe season two of Loki is all about him trying to get back to his prime reality, right? And there's a there's an episode where he's in that Marvel Zombies yeah. universe or something. Okay. Or or in Multiverse of Madness, right? Like, Doctor Strange is, is you know, and I'm shooting from the hip on this, but like mm-hmm. maybe he's chasing Wanda through the multiverse or him and Wanda are traveling through the multiverse trying to, you know, find the boys or whatever, all these different theories we've thrown out. And one of the universes they end up in is the is the Marvel Zombies universe. And, like, the uh, you guys haven't seen the episode, but in it there's a zombie Wanda, right? Like, maybe they, they fight the zombie Wanda, right? Like, I don't know. I'm, I'm just throwing out spitball ideas, but I think those are more likely ways that those kinds of cameos would manifest. Um, rather than like getting their own movie or something like that. I suppose like anything else, if it was handled well, you know, it could be good. Uh, you might say one might sure. say that could be good. It's it's just one of those things where uh, I think I think it's a little trickier to do well. I think in a what if episode, obviously, it's totally fine. That's an evergreen. Yeah, the potential is limitless. But once you try to dip your toes into like the continuity pool. It gets a little trickier, but especially in a, as like an episode of a TV show, I think that's kind of that in my imagination feels like the proper place to apply that kind of thing. I, I generally agree with what you're saying there. Like that's the right way to apply those things. But I don't think mm. that that means you can't leverage them in other properties because like, you know, connectivity is part of the MCU, right? Like the idea yeah. that the Marvel universe exists and is a living, breathing place and is now a multiverse that's living and breathing and expanding and threatens to, you know, uh, have these kinds of bump ups where realities are going to merge and cross over and, and have those kinds of uh, events. Um, I don't think doesn't make sense 
in this phase after all we've been through and what's been set up, right? And that we know we're driving towards Kang. We know we're driving towards reality bending, you know, timeline-based stories and things like that. Um, so it doesn't feel like that much of a reach to me, I think, if you play your cards right, you know? Yeah. My second thought is uh, Mark Millar is very much a bit of a car salesman. So this could also be him getting his name back in the headlines for, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's funny, actually, that you you bring that up. Uh, the, the bleeding cool article about this uh, that, that, that we're, you know, referencing. Uh, it, that's like the opening line of it from Rich Johnson. It's like, Mark Millar, known for grabbing any credits that aren't nailed down and super glued on top. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and, and you think about it a little bit, and his his kind of his cultural cachet is taking a little bit of a hit. Like Jupiter's Legacy bombed on Netflix, you know. Yeah, doesn't hurt. It's not what it was. Press. It's not what it was five years ago when he had like uh, Kingsman and 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 uh, other shows and movies that were still remembered well. Sure. All right, so uh, jumping into the next story, we've got a follow-up from last week's show where we discussed the kind of uh, the war for the Webtoons audience that Marvel and DC have been um, have been kind of engaging with and, and kind of comparing the two strategies that they have. And we had a little bit of a debate on who we felt had handled things better. Um, and one of the things that we talked about last week was when we were looking at the, um, the overall subscribers to um, Wayne Family Adventures, which is the Webtoon series... Um, of course, that you can check out on uh, Webtoon for free, that it had a subscriber base that was um, higher than the average monthly sales of Batman, of whatever the, the, the current ongoing Batman series was. So CBR wrote an article this week um, that kind of followed up on that and I thought had a really interesting uh, subhead that I, I want to dive into here, right? So it's... Uh, the Wayne Family Adventures readership has surpassed DC's Batman comics, right? That's the headline, and you think, okay, so there's more people reading it than Batman. But the subhead is that it it has accumulated more readers than Batman, Detective Comics, and Urban Legends combined, which is insane. That is huge. Um, so, like we said, the series launched um, with three episodes on the 8th, and right now it has over 500k subscribers, I believe when we talked about it last week, it was like closer to 400. So it looks yeah. like, I mean, that's a pretty, you know, pretty decent um, accumulation of readers in a week. Uh, but yeah, they've got um, some of the numbers here. It says the most recent reports for Batman Detective Comics and Urban Legends show that the books are selling roughly 125K, 53K, and 44K respectively. The last time a Batman title sold over 500K units was Detective Comics 1000, which sold 574, uh, 705 copies. So not a lot over uh, 500K. So that's pretty pretty crazy, right? I mean, obviously, um, it's, it's not a one-for-one, one, right? Like, this is not to say that, you know, um, they're making more money here than they are on those books or, or any of those things, but still an impressive figure to see in, in just a few weeks' time. Yeah, that happened very quickly, I'll say. Uh, how long have these webtoons been going at this point this year? This one Weeks? launched on September 8th, it said. So it's literally only been 10 days since it came out as of this recording. Yeah. Compared to three different Batman books that have been being published since, what, uh, January, right? Well, Is that the, what we're comparing? Yes, but those are the most recent monthly reports. It's I see, monthly, I yeah. see. Okay. So that's what they sold last month. 
Well, I mean, it, 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 it you know goes back to what we talked about in our main topic last week, which is does reading these uh, Batman web comics, webtoons, uh, does that actually help translate to greater sales for DC? Does that lead to people going and reading actual Batman comics weekly, monthly? Um, I don't know. Why? Why does that? Why? Why is that the question? Because why? I'll, why isn't the question? Why are the Batman comics getting more people to webtoons? Because I don't know. I don't know. If, well, I don't know if that actually matters, frankly, because I, the comics cost more money. Yeah, but I, I think that that's like a, and and that's kind of what you know we had, we ended up arguing that point last week a little bit. I don't. I don't think that that is the necessarily the question because if. If this comic continues to build an audience the way that it has, and it gets to the point where rather than a few hundred thousand, maybe it has a few million people reading it, and you know, uh, a percentage of those people are paying for every every comic that comes out, like that's a new revenue stream. Like I, I don't think that yes. the the goal is necessarily to be like, how do we capture the webtoons audience and get them to go to a comic book store or go to Comicsology and buy a Batman comic? While as much as I'm sure they want that to happen, that is a pipeline that I'm sure DC would be happy to create. I'm sure that it's just as much about them wanting to get the 70 million plus people on webtoons to give them their money there and, and tap into a new audience. That is true, but what is DC and Marvel always trying to do to the chagrin of... Fail. Kill the comic book industry. <laughs> They're not trying to do that. They're actively doing that. Oh, There's yeah. Great point. Um, what they're always trying to do to the chagrin of like many of your meat and potato comic book readers that show up to the store every week to buy books every month is they are trying to attract new readers. And I think to them... The webtoon base, that is an entirely new readership group. And while I think they could be mutually beneficial for both for DC as a whole, right? I think ultimately what they actively want is to get those people reading those webtoons to go and buy monthly comics through a brick and mortar or through, you know, uh, what have you, digital regardless, because that stands as uh, important factor of long-term growth for the industry and the business i i don't i because otherwise if that doesn't happen the kind of thing marco always talks about is what's on the table which is a complete transformation of the business as we know it and i think that's kind of what we got into last week which is that's too broad to really speculate over sure but i i think that it is broad, but I don't think that you can discount that as as like a relevant wrinkle in the conversation, right? Because like I think it's worth calling out, right? That like comics are the market is growing right now. You know, we talked all about in 2020 the the fear that we had about what the other side of the pandemic looked like for comic book store owners because a lot of them have like a shoestring business and it, it is mm-hmm. tough to be closed down for months at a time, right? Like that's not a, a reality that a lot of people can afford. Um, but, you know, the the CBR article that we're referencing, it, it calls out here, in 2020, comics drew in a total of over $1.2 billion. $160 million of that came through the digital market, and over a billion dollars came through comic book stores and physical media channels. I don't think it's fair to say that 
DC's strategy is totally based on trying to take the Webtoons market and turn them into traditional readers. I think the argument you just made is the perfect example of why that probably isn't the strategy, or at least not the only strategy or the main strategy. Because as you called out, Phil, it is to the chagrin of the traditional reader when DC or Marvel try to push digital first initiatives, when they try to push you know, digital alternatives, when they try to push books that apply to new readers, when they try to push initiatives that are specifically uh, locked in on trying to build the market and grow that market. And, and as Sean always uh, like kind of says, right, like that like mythical person who could be a, a monthly comics reader, but just isn't activated yet. Right. And the idea that this is that this strategy solely exists to pitch to that person and pull them into the traditional model, I don't I don't think is fair because I think that like the argument is right. How, how many people would need to read this Batman book and pay for it for it to be profitable? But I think there's an argument to be made that making this probably costs less money because the individual issues are shorter. There's no physical overhead you don't have to worry about retail partnerships and printing it and putting it out and the idea that say dc launches another five ten series on this and they see similar readership how long is it until those books that are cheaper to produce tap into a new market that isn't interested in going and reading batman you know's or detective comics right the latest detective comics but does want to read batman family adventures sure I, I don't I don't doubt that as, uh, aspect at all. In fact, it's like I mentioned last week. It I think it's akin to making a cartoon show. It's akin to making a TV show. It's yeah, akin to totally. having a movie. This kind of thing helps the cultural cachet of Batman or general DC Comics properties. This is going to get people to go buy a Batman game, to buy Batman toys, to go buy Batman merchandise in general. But DC, the publisher. While I think they are looking at this as an alternate media, uh, um, revenue stream and a way to grow a different base, I think it's I, I think it's foolish to think that they're not trying to, you know, grab a portion of that audience to transfer over to. Your I think it's both. Like I yeah. think it's I think yes. it's a very similar strategy to like, and maybe this isn't like a great one for one comparison, but I think of like how you'll see like late night shows uh post content on youtube right mm -hmm. and it's like well the people that watch youtube don't watch fucking late night tv right but they want their money too um yes there's a lot published about how uh late night comedy has transformed to appease network figureheads for the youtube algorithm specifically and i, th I think i think that I think this is somewhat similar to that. You know, maybe that's not a super clean analogy, but you know, I, I think it's, I think it is about expanding the market and and pitching to people who were you know never going to go into that store, but are are reading comics and thinking about well, how do we get their money? Yeah, it's a win win ultimately for yeah, DC. I think so. And we never talk about them winning on this show, so yeah, take it when they can. Get what about it. you, Kale? What are you thinking about it? Well, I I I sort of think that. Like, if DC wanted those readers and wanted that transition, like, wouldn't they make something similar to Wayne Family Adventures and put it in a comic book shop? Like, what, what book is remotely similar to that? You know what I mean? Like, the closest, like, Bat Family thing you can think of, you know, at the moment my answer is probably nightwing 
that seems to have a lot of you know bat family stuff going on right now they do have like some of the ya stuff that's a little bit more like oh it's like casual stuff going on in gotham but that's not appealing to the same market either right like i think it's that's kind of a a a good point yeah it's it's the ability to like pitch to a different kind of reader too yeah because we talked about that right the i think the most popular genre on webtoons is romance right it's Mm -hmm. not action it's not superheroes it's it's nothing like that um speaking of which uh this actually will take us right into the next story which is uh archie is uh entering the webtoon fray with a new book called all right not a book i guess i don't a new comic webtoon yeah no a new webtoon called big ethel energy um (laughs) so this is coming out on uh september 21st and there will be there'll be three episodes out on September twenty first. Um, so I guess maybe that's the model, right? You launch with three issues so people can get into it. Um, and then there yeah. will be a weekly release from then on, exclusively on webtoons. Uh, it's going to be worked on by uh, Carol Brown Ahmed is going to be writing it, and uh, Siobhan Keenan is going to be doing art. Siobhan is how that name's pronounced. It's Siobhan. It's an Irish name. Really? Oh. Yep. A silent Ooh. B. Siobhan. That's Gaelic, baby. Yep. Damn, I was like, oh man, I was so close. Like I thought I nailed it. Nope. <laughs> Siobhan. Okay. Okay. All right. You know what? I, I'm gonna I just gotta keep moving on. I gotta move on from there's, that. Uh, there's, you know? There's no, a late let's night. do but let's do about ten more ten more minutes on Siobhan. There's a uh there was a late show bit with Shirshay Ronan, the actress who's got the most Irish fucking name imaginable. Sour Z. She was on uh, Colbert, and he's just holding up cue cards with a bunch of different Irish words, and like she's he's asking her to read them. Yep. And the words that come out of her mouth do not match how we would think those words are. Uh uh That's okay. Well, you know what? Uh, like I said, I gotta I gotta move on. So we're gonna we're just gonna keep rolling from that. Um, I'll think about it for the rest of my life, though. Uh, so we had a uh, a quote here from Archie Comics senior director of editorial Jamie L. Uh, Ron- Rotante, I- I'm going to guess, but is that Irish too, Kale? Is this actually... Uh... <laughs> Rotante? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> uh, so, JV said, we're so excited for this partnership with Webtoon. The work they've been doing is incredible, and the modern sensibilities they bring to their storytelling, along with the gorgeous and colorful art, along aligns perfectly with Archie's vision. It's been amazing working with Webtoon and watching the evolution of Ethel take shape. Uh, and then we also had a, um, this is from Archie's CEO publisher, uh, bringing the Archie characters onto Webtoon is the next step in the evolution of our comics and how we tell stories. We are always looking for new and effective ways to deliver content to different audiences and working with Webtoon is a huge part of us continuing to do just that. We're so thrilled to be debuting this new iteration of Ethel on a new platform and to a growing audience that has a huge love for comics. It's tremendously exciting. You know, I feel like Archie on Webtoons is like a really, that makes a lot of sense to me. Yep, definitely. In in the way that, in, in that exact way that I was just talking about of like, you know, that's a market that will likely transfer, you know. We really, I don't feel like we've talked about it a ton here on the Comics Pals, but what Archie Comics have done the last five years of, finding a way to transfer the popularity of Archie comics to the 21st century is really impressive because I feel like it was pretty antiquated and I would be the last five would, years or so. 
I would be curious to know if it is still strong. Um, you well, know, there, Riverdale helped a lot. There is Riverdale, oh, yeah. and it did it did help a lot. But is that you know Riverdale's gone pretty off the rails? Not to, you know, popular, and that's not though. Yeah, that's not to say that it's not popular or a judgment on its quality. It could be good. I don't know. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, how is the comic doing? You know, um, is it still? You know, when it when it relaunched, it relaunched with some hot, hot names. Yeah. And we've kind of seen it falter since then. And, you know, that's not to say the, the quality's gone down, but is it still, you know. Kale, that means you haven't known the triumphs and defeats of the epic highs and lows of high school football. How dare, how <laughs> dare you, you know come at me point. with that? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I, there, I think there's an argument to be made there, Kale, where like it it probably isn't at the crest of its popularity, right? Like I yeah. think, I think that that moment has probably come and gone, but I do think that Phil's right that that relaunch in the, um, you know, CW, right? Well, even before that, I think, right? Like mm-hmm. I thought, I think that the, the relaunch that they did, like that Kale was referencing where it was like Mark Wade was doing it mm-hmm. and he had uh, yes. staples on the first arc or at least the first couple issues. Um, and then, you know, you had like a lot of the like Archie horror lines that were really popular, like Vampironica and there was like, uh, Jughead the Hunger and like there's, there's definitely been a lot of books in the last couple of years from Archie that have been popular or that have, you know, at least, um, you know, had, had like critical acclaim and been in the conversation. Um, I think of like Chilling Adventures of Sabrina and some of those things. And, you know, yes, like I think that that conversation is maybe not as hot as it was when Riverdale was like the hot new thing. And now it's, it is yeah. what it is. It's, it's an established property, but I do think that there are a lot of young people that are, have latched onto Riverdale and are familiar with these characters and, you know, have an affinity for them. And I could see that some of that popularity crossing over, like that there are maybe some folks who watch Riverdale and read webtoons and then yeah, yeah, would jump on yeah. this, on this train now. Right. Um, and there's actually a quote from David Lee, who's the head of content for Webtoon. He said, uh, we can't wait to welcome these iconic characters to the global Webtoon community and introduce a new generation of comic fans to their stories. And I think to me, like, that really is the thing that is the point I feel like I'm driving towards with this Webtoons thing is it is about tapping into a new generation of readers that read <clears throat> comics in a different way. Yeah. And read different comics. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Marco would talk about that all the time in the early days of the show is just like his disinterest in the superhero medium and reading comics. And that's changed yep. more so over the duration of the show. But listen, before the relaunch of Archie comics, before Riverdale, the cultural cachet of that property only existed for people like Mark Wade and people of his generation, people that were yeah. reading these comics in the late fifties and early sixties, all of a sudden in the last five years, you have a lot of people under the age of 30, 35, uh, who are interested in Archie, watch Riverdale, maybe read some of these runs Pete mentioned, and are maybe active readers of Webtoons. And they see an Archie Webtoon coming out, and I think that's that's a no-brainer. And shoot, I mean, I think you, know, you made the point of, like, maybe they've read some of those runs. Maybe they haven't. Like, maybe they're too. just a Riverdale person, and they don't even know about traditional comics, you know? We've talked about how there is that person, right? Like mostly older folks i think but there are uh people who have that like oh they still make comics like that's a thing yeah um 
whereas like webtoons are are different right like that is like an approachable thing that you're probably aware of if you're a young person who is very online i thought you were gonna say like if you're an old person you definitely know definitely know what webtoons is i was like i don't know about that totally one. yeah <laughs> i mean kale knows what they are I would, I would, you know, I would love to find out that like my mom knew what webtoons were. <laughs> hey, listen, I gotta tell you, I don't know if Kale knows what webtoons are. I think all this time we've been talking about them, and I think he might think we're talking about flash games. I mean, my- the other thing is, I I think she would really love Homestar Runner <laughs> if she could see it. You know, I know they Homestar. <laughs> is that your favorite webtoon? <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. Love, I love tunes on the web. Tunes! <laughs> Gay! How it does? <laughs> anyway. Emails. Uh, that ridiculous transition is going to take us into our random question of the week! Uh, 7 out of 10. You well, done better. It's okay. Don't worry about it. We'll get there. Uh, <laughs> so, Archie, um, in addition to coming to Webtoons, is actually uh, nearing its 80th anniversary. Um, which is obviously a pretty huge milestone for for the characters and the world of Riverdale. Um, so I wanted to throw out a random question that I was thinking about this morning while I was putting the show together, which is, you know, we talked about kind of this reemergence of Archie in the last couple of years. And one of the things that I remember pretty fondly from that period was uh, the 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 kind of crossover uh, stuff that happened for a bit where there was like Archie versus Predator. You know? Literally the mm-hmm. only Archie comic I ever read. So, I mean, that's perfect then. So you're going to be uh, perfectly equipped for this this question, Phil, which is if you are at the helm, what is the Archie versus property that you would create? Uh, and it could be, be a crossover, Ooh. I guess, if you want to do a team up. But I feel like versus is, is better. Okay. So you wanted right. to fight. Kind of. Okay. I got it. I got it. What do you got? Phil? I'm ready. Ferris Bueller. <laughs> the young and the restless <laughs> what the fuck <laughs> what's next Kale general hospital even better I really I was really hoping you guys were gonna come at gossip me. girl <laughs> I was really hoping you were gonna come at me with like some monster movie candidates and Kale's like no what other what other like ridiculous dramatic things can I splice Archie into um yeah uh, well, Ooh. the first thought I had were the kids from the Power Rangers. I actually had that thought too. Yeah. Like, what's the name of the school that the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers went to? Angel Grove High School. So yeah, so the they, all, kids go to, they all moved to correct. Riverdale. <laughs> yeah, they all or they go to Angel Grove High School. Okay, that's pretty good. Yeah. Um, the then the Archie characters become Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that works. Yeah, that I, that was where I was going to go, but you wanted it to be a verse. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, were they going to have team ups? Oh no, go ahead, Akil. Go ahead. Jason, the horror character. <laughs> yes. See, that's more the energy I was yeah. initially thinking of. It's <laughs> too spiritually similar to Predator. Was, that's why, I was, though, the idea of, uh, if it was Alien and all these Riverdale characters got like face chest bursted and stuff. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. dark. That's pretty bad. Uh, looking like a cabin in the woods style. You know, oh, they're all at summer camp. Kale, that's really yeah. good. Yeah, that's a good call out. That sounds yeah. That'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Damn, I like. I'd that. write that. It would definitely yeah, have I'd to be that. like an eighteen plus book so that you could just murder the fuck out of all of them. But except Jughead, <laughs> he survives. Yeah. <laughs> Him and yeah, his yeah, burger yeah. gets away. <laughs> That's right. How about a Popeye crossover? 
What? Hmm. That way, Jughead and the dude who always loves the hamburgers. Uh, Jughead's not going to share. <laughs> well, neither's the other guy. He doesn't Wait, have he? a hamburger. He's always poor and Broke. asking for one. Yeah, he's like, I'll glad, gladly both give of a them dollar are. tomorrow for that's a hamburger both, today. Yeah, that's both of their jams. But Jug gets them, though, right? I mean, like, I feel like well, he always has a burger. Because Archie. Yeah. Uh, okay, what about uh, what about uh, Demon Slayer? <laughs> Listen, you want to make some money. Yeah, Archie is now, now a Demon talking. Slayer, and uh, everyone gets bit by uh, demons, and then they become demons, and Archie's got to kill all his friends. How about uh, My Hero Academia? They all go and join. They become Class 1C. And, uh, yeah, that's, that sounds <laughs> great. Okay, I got, I got one. I got one. I got one. Yu-Gi-Oh. <laughs> Yeah, guess what? I'm weird. I'm a weirdo. You've activated my trap card. <laughs> Sent you to the shadow realm. <laughs> I love the idea of like, you know, there's like that bit where people are like, oh, we should just remake every property with the Muppets. I like that this has just turned into us just being like, what can we just put Archie characters in? Well, listen, you, know you mentioned it. Muppets. The Muppets. <laughs> okay, the Muppets. But who's the human character? Kermit. So, so Kermit <laughs> is going to go to Riverdale and be the human character, but all of them are the Muppets, is what you're saying. So it's a reverse Muppet situation. Uh, Maybe. Well, you know, it kind of writes itself where instead of asking Betty or Veronica, you ask Betty, Veronica, or Miss Piggy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I hate that. I hate that. Maybe, a lot. Uh, maybe um, um, Luke Perry is the human character. Um, Pete, what if, uh, what if, Joining the ranks of Riverdale High is one Bobby Hill. <laughs> Yo, Hank would not put up with those shenanigans. <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> He's good. I'm just like imagining Bobby Hill in like a situation where he has both uh, Betty and Veronica interested in him, and he like can't choose or whatever. And Hank's just like, "You get one girlfriend, Bobby. One." <laughs> oh, damn it, Bobby! You just God damn it, Bobby. One. You choose one girl to go steady with. That boy ain't right. <laughs> it's called monogamy, not tugamy. <laughs> we got a lot of mileage out of this, guys. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I mean, you could put them in any funny, fun horror scenario. Put them through like the Saw games or whatever. I hate that. <laughs> yeah, or the Hunger Games. That would be good. That would be good. I'd like that one. <laughs> now we're talking. All right. Put him through Hogwarts. No, no, it's canceled. Don't do that one. Actually, yeah. that would, that would, that would sell like crazy because and yes, Harry actually, Potter people well, are fucking crazy. <laughs> and actually, I think that's been done or is being done on Riverdale. So, if you really just want to, what like, they're using magic on Riverdale now? I think the next season is about Cheryl starting a cult. So, <laughs> oh my God, we got to get back into the show, Kale. Yeah. Um, if, you really, right. if you really want to do like lowest common denominator, least amount of effort to like cross pollinate, it's Riverdale in the office. God. <laughs> what? Yeah, see, now it's gotten bad. I don't yeah, want that I'm done. anymore. I'm cutting this one off at the legs. <laughs> That's we... what I'm saying. That's the lowest effort, like bad one that people would be like, yeah, I love it. We hit the peak hey, dude, and it's KJ over. KJ Apple looking at the camera. <laughs> <laughs>
All right, so moving along to our next story, we've got uh, the new trailer, or I guess the first trailer for Hawkeye, um, which is right around the corner, coming out um, in November. Uh, Kale, why don't you share the trailer here, and we'll uh, we'll dive into that. It's oh, I'll see what I can do. Oh, so I did it. Shameless that they're doing a solo series and the main character of Mash. I oh, oh and it's man, that's man. an old person joke. <laughs> that hit me. That hit. That's funny because that hit me right where I live. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, we, we finally got to look at this. Um, you know, it's like Hawkeye. Rogers the musical. Yeah, I got a kick out of that. Uh, they have a they have a scene from it later, which just looks fucking ridiculous. But obviously, this is Hawkeye in the aftermath of um, Endgame. And, you know, he's like with his family. He's trying to get back to civilian life. And he, uh, you know, I the past catches up with him, this identity that he had while he was um Ronin and out and you know, Ronin. doing all this Ronin. bad stuff. Um there's somebody now in that identity. We end up finding out, of course, here that it's, you know, it's Kate Bishop seemingly Haley Steinfeld. Right. Um and which I for the longest time, you know, I think we all or at least many of us thought that it was gonna be his daughter um right. aged up and apparently that's not the case. Um I yeah, didn't think I mean, that. what's that? I didn't think that. Okay, well nice for you, buddy. Uh-huh. Um so obviously it's uh taking place during Christmas time. It's you know, it's uh, something I thought that was really interesting about this trailer is of all of the Marvel series um you know on on D plus that we've seen so far. This was the trailer that felt the most like a movie trailer to me. Like it very much felt like it had the beats of like a, you know, like that holiday action. Yeah comedy type die hard esque yeah like it no does have a bit of a die, die hard vibe would you say no though? time to i <laughs> oh god <laughs> anyway uh would you would you guys think about this i'm mad that i'm gonna like it Ooh, go on <laughs> go on and go off king yeah what's it up? just i like one hawkeye very similar to like green arrow and like Spider-Man and Daredevil, when you get down to their core, uh, you know, a guy who gets beat up and stands up again mm-hmm. is it's my jam. Um, and I hate that it's Jeremy Renner, but I really love this particular, you know, Hawkeye story. Right. And, you know, this looks God damn it. This looks fun and I'm pissed off about it. It does look fun. <laughs> Yeah, it looks a lot more fun than than I think it. Um, I guess I shouldn't say that it has like any right to because of the source material, but that like with that caveat of like Jeremy Renner is at best fine, you know. Yeah. Like I feel yeah. like I I don't hate him as Hawkeye, but I don't really anything him as Hawkeye. Like he's I, not a character I feel particularly attached to, even though I like Hawkeye fine. That's a I think that's a pretty popular and prevalent opinion yeah among people that like the mcu i never really got it i don't think he's any worse than any other of the mcu people frankly i think he's totally uh, adequate at what he does i now there are people that really chew up the scenery but i think by and large i think most of the people in the mcu are as good as jeremy renner I now know. that said i think in need- terms of leading characters he's he's one of the weaker ones but Fair he's enough. not really. I mean, he's never been a leading character in them. He's always been a supporting character. Sure, like, I mean, he's one of the original in an ensemble cast. Though. 
Yeah, in an ensemble cast. And he's the worst one. <laughs> I don't know. He's just as fine as uh, as uh, Scarlett Johansson. And, uh, and she's Mark not Ruffalo great either. And Mark Ruffalo and... Um, oh, I totally disagree. I think a lot of people like Mark Ruffalo and like he's he's good. He's like charming, he's fine. You know? he's I mean, totally the thing fine. is, I, I you don't have to agree. I just think the common perception is definitely yes. that. Yes, that's Gary Renner is like the worst one. I understand that. That's my hot take on this one. Is that Fair I don't enough. think he's yeah. That said, are we all going to download the Jeremy Renner app? <laughs> what? You don't remember that back in like 2015, he launched an app for his fans. No, oh, man, that wasn't that long ago. Yeah, it may have been even more recent than that. It was like 2019. That's so weird. This is like pre-pandemic. I've never heard of this. Yeah, and everyone just trolled the shit out of it. Um, the other thing that I like about this is that it really, really ties very well into Kate Bishop's whole thing. Um, you know, she got into the game cosplaying Hawkeye with a bow and arrow. And this is, you know, her doing Ronin. And that it synthesizes her character so well mm-hmm. without, you know, preemptively adding the young Avengers. Um, it just works so, so well. And Haley Steinfeld is great too. You're a big Kate Bishop guy, right? I like Kate Bishop a lot, yeah. Yeah. How old is Haley Seinfeld? Seinfeld? Steinfeld is what I said. <clears throat> I What's got the deal with Hawkeye? <laughs> yeah, well, the, no What's the deal with archery? Right, yeah, she's twenty-four. She could be. Uh, she could. You take you take the arrow and you put in the bow. What's the deal with that? Do I really have to put the bow in the arrow? <laughs> <laughs> There's a good scene uh, in the trailer where someone throws like a Molotov cocktail through the window and he catches it in like one stride and throws it back out. It's pretty neat. I did like that. I think it's like, he's like mid conversation too. I think he's like on the phone with his daughter or whatever. And he's like, hold on and catches it and throws it. It's pretty good. Yeah. Good stuff. And I mean, at, at, at the like very least, if this is a fun series that like, you know, sunsets Jeremy Renner as Hawkeye and gives us Kate Bishop moving forward, <gasps> I would love it if it sunset Jeremy. I Renner. think that's what's gonna happen. Right. That makes sense. Like oh in Marvel. Right. Yeah, you're probably <laughs> sure. whoa, 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 whoa. 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 Well, what did you think he meant, hmm? Kale? Wait, sorry, my 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 headphones must not be working. What's the deal with that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, by and large, I'm I'm with you, Kale. I think I think this looks fun. I think this will be end up being a good time. Um and it's kind of it's kind of interesting that it's like specifically tied to the holidays too, because I don't yeah. think that's a thing we've ever done in the MCU. Uh, I don't think so either. So like, yeah, cool. No, um, we found another new flavor to uh, to inject in here. We're dancing around. The, we're really we're dancing around the big topic here. If Jerry Seinfeld was in the MCU, who should he be? Interesting. It have interesting. To, it would have to be like a, a random question number two. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it would have to be like a Owen Wilson type role. Like you would yeah, have to be yeah, some yeah. background character, you know? Yeah. Or <laughs> it could be Galactus. Doom. No, I hate <laughs> that so much. I think that's why it would oh work. <laughs> oh, that's good. Um, this, this is some. What's the deal with this Christmas? <laughs> right. It might be good. Um, 
uh, I don't have any strong feelings about it, but uh, I always find that things are better when your expectations are like low or non-existent. It must be nice to live in that world. Then <laughs> you're pleasantly surprised. And that's the thing things. is you do live in that world, Kill. You're just overtly negative. Like, I feel like you have the same energy where your expectations are always low, but then you're like, I was right. The world sucks. <laughs> no, my, my expectations aren't low. Mine are subterranean. That's way yep. different. Okay. You're you got to right. work to go up. And if you don't, you're done. My man's expectations are like that of a mole person's, I guess. Okay, on so that note, uh, let's move over to uh, <laughs> to the DC side of the fence and talk about some comic books again. Uh, Jeff Lemire's got a new Swamp Thing series called Green Hell that's coming out under DC Black Label. Uh, it is going to be um, Jeff Lemire with uh, on words with Doug uh, Mankey on art. And oh. um, it is set during, uh, quote unquote, during humanity's dying days. Um, so it's going to be, a th- it's in a three issue prestige format mini. Uh, it's set in the future. Humanity's on the brink of extinction. And, um, you know, it's like a, it's like a post apocalyptic kind of thing. The final survivors of the planet um, live on an island at the top of a mountain Um with uh, the parliaments of the green, the red, and the rot um, deciding that humans need to be wiped out in order for life to begin anew. The only way for mankind to preserve is for them to take on the parliament's avatar. Unfortunately, the one person who can do that is Alec Holland, a.k.a. the original Swamp Thing, who died decades earlier. Uh, So this is going to be coming out on December 28th, day after my birthday. That's going to be pretty cool. Um, Really, really cool. Uh, cover work here. I think this first one is the main cover, but even the variants are pretty sweet. Um, it, it must be cool to know exactly what you're going to get from Marco for, for your birthday. For my birthday, I'm going to get Marco yeah. this, yes. No, you're. he's going to get it for you. Oh, okay, yeah. Well, that'd be yeah, nice. That, that, that Thanks, does Marco. make sense. So yeah, uh, what do you guys think about this? Um, I, you know, we're, I think all of us are fairly recent Swamp Thing converts from our, our book club in 2019, but, um, yeah. you know, we've really been enjoying the Swamp Thing, uh, by Rom V and Mike Perkins and, um, you know, oh, oh, what I just saw the cover. Oh, it's really good. And I was going to say, and, cool. and Mike Spicer on that series as well. Um, so yeah. How do you, how do y'all feel about, about this announcement? I'm, I'm pretty excited for this. Jeff Lemire's. I, it's weird to say he's underrated. I think he's like a he's like a sleeper star. I think that's fair to say. Yeah, I I think that's fair to say too. Um, it's interesting that they brought like a real veteran artist on here. Like Doug Mankey's been doing you know art in DC for like thirty years. Yeah, that, are you that, looking at the covers and stuff? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, that yeah. actually is sort of the one thing that I don't like about this. I'm not crazy about his art. Oh, no. really? And I mean, it's, you know, I think it's been a while since I've seen it because I sort of go out of my way to not look at it. I'm just, I'm not a fan. Uh, worth pointing out, too, I, the alternate covers are done by Christian Ward and uh, Francesco Vella. So um, the other ones that you're seeing here are are their handiwork. Well, that your brother's still getting work, Kel. Every yeah. time I, I read Christian Ward's name, I'm like, is that any relation? No, I keep I keep hoping he'll, uh, you know, help me out. But damn, he's a real pull <laughs> me up by your, your bootstraps type of guy, huh? Yeah, 
Yeah, from what I understand, outside of this bit, this is some like he's done a couple of pieces recently that are his first uh, DC work. Like he's doing a cover for the new Batman Beyond series. Oh, cool! That uh, is absolutely killer. Um, and I feel like he said recently that, uh, you know, this big big dream for him that he's never been able to uh cash in on and now he is there you go um yeah i think jeff lemire is kind of underrated kale but typically unless it's a team book which i have found um you know varying results for him any other book he ever writes is typically very good yeah he's a very very good writer Uh, in fact i would say he's one of the best writers actively in the business today i Um, think i agree yeah and based on that description, Pete, I think this sounds really interesting, and it has all the ingredients to be an excellent book for sure. It, that the the summary makes me does genuinely make me wish I knew more about Swamp Thing and the different parliaments and everything. It's a good thing Mark is not here to waste twenty minutes of our time by giving us the the, the Swampopedia. Yeah, he'll, I mean he'll do that when we inevitably review this book. I imagine so. You like Swampopedia? <laughs> That was good. No, it was good. Pretty good. Swampopedia. There's only two characters in the universe is on there. Swamp Thing and Shrek. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. We all, we all know that uh, Shrek, of course, a very, very famous wielder of the green. He is green himself. Exactly. Yeah. Well, you remember that ketchup in the 90s? Like the green Shrek. <laughs> that's the green, you know? Mm-hmm. That's what. Yeah. That's literally the green. The purple is the rot. Yes. Oh, See, Kale gets it. Kale gets it. Thank you. But I like the purple. Uh, so just one more thing on the on the subject of the creative team. Um, this is going to be the first time that Lemire's worked with Dave Mankey, but uh, he said that he was an all-time favorite artist um, on an Instagram post that he was uh, promoting the series in. So uh, they're excited to work together. Good premise. I'm looking forward to this one. Hope it comes together. If I am not mistaken, Doug Mankey uh, lives close to us, Pete. Really? Mm-hmm. We should go hit we him up. We should go visit him. Yeah. See if he wants to get a drink. Show me some pages, you know? Yeah. I did that for Frank Quietly. Oh, really? <laughs> Genuinely. Oh, yeah. Damn. We got to find him. Well, I know where he is. Well, no, not, I meant, never mind. It's fine. We're going to just move on. So, uh, speaking of someone who's not excited for this new book, uh, Alex DeCampi drew the ire of the green uh, this week, um, aka Swamp Thing fans, uh, when he made a post on Twitter that was like, <laughs> pretty pretty like passive aggressive a little aggressive aggressive about swap thing uh and it's in a since deleted tweet but uh alex DeCampi tweeted what is it with dudes and swamp thing why do you love the character so is it because most swamp thing writers put in lots of literary refs that make you feel smart when you catch them educate me but don't say <laughs> oh you have to read blank because i prob have and or don't care <laughs> So this uh, this definitely got people talking about Swamp Thing. Swamp Thing was trending on Twitter, which is not a, a super common thing, with a lot of people just chatting about why they love the character. And, you know, um, some people, like, just genuinely answering the question, others kind of dunking on Alex and, uh, and, and you know, getting 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 upset about about this but well, uh i i wanted to you know I, I had hoped that marco would be here so that i could give him a little opportunity to talk about swamp thing but i think what we've shown is that marco is a coward and whenever he has ooh. the opportunity to talk about swamp thing he misses the show so i am going to give you two 
and myself the opportunity now to step up on a show soapbox with and I'll tell you this part wasn't planned. Random question number three. <laughs> right, that like was a, planned. I can see the notes. That was well. No, it was. was yeah, Look at the notes. It was number two. Hmm. This third, the second one you got thrown in there. Like Seinfeld. You know who's to say? No, you can't uh, claim that. No, no, I can though. I'm the host. You can't. No, I can you say can't. whatever I want. Eight I'm taking of, it from you. Eight out of ten. Okay, well, then you host the rest of the show. Okay. No. Nope. Phil, go ahead. What What are your Swamp Thing bits? <laughs> your bits. <laughs> The question is, what do you like about Swamp Thing? What is what is the thing that that makes you that you uh, think makes the character work for you? Well, I mean, it just goes back to the creation of the character, you know. Stan Lee, Roy Thomas, Jerry Conway, Gray Morrow. Son of a bitch! <laughs> How many people are you gonna list? <laughs> they all helped create Swamp Thing and Savage Tales number one, published by Marvel Comics. Uh, <laughs> no, um, well, for, first of all, that tweet is got big like it's it's got big jerk energy attached to it like yeah. what a what a way to just like uh be condescending the, for no reason the i probably have slash and or don't care i was like that you didn't need to say that <laughs> like what a dick um but you know i've only i've only read a little bit of swamp thing um really for the show and there are books that you read for the first time and you immediately feel the impact of it. Uh, I had that same feeling when I read Animal Man and Doom mm-hmm. Patrol and All-Star Superman and you know Watchmen. The list goes on. We've read many of these books for the book club. Um, Swamp Thing was like that too, where as, as soon as you open the opening pages of specifically Alan Moore's run, you immediately recognize that this is this is an all-time comic book, and that's really where the appeal comes from. It, it's it's a legacy of great comic book writers that read Alan Moore's run in a formative period in their life, and they're able to do something significant with the character. And there are other characters that comes out in Daredevil is one of them, but it's different with Daredevil from Swamp Thing because Swamp Thing as passive aggressive as the tweet points out, I think it does have kind of a capital L literature quality to it in a way mm. many other comics don't. Um, you see that in, in Neil Gaiman books too. And whether or not that makes a comic book fan feel smart, I don't think really matters because. Play another shitty comment. Yeah. I think like, I think like when you spend your entire life reading comic books, you want something that transcends the medium. You want something that is spectacular and significant. And we see many comic books these days that are published that have cinematic qualities to them, oftentimes as a detriment because it's like aping a format. They look like storyboards for a movie or something. Um, Alan Moore wasn't doing that. He was, he was trying to, you know, he jammed as much stuff as he could in his scripts. And he had a lot of ideas that just weren't being done at the time. And I don't want to say they've been perfected since then. I think that's, uh, I think that's disingenuous to the Swamp Thing comics, but a lot of writers have taken a lot of inspiration and have tried to apply that to Swamp Thing comics over the last 20 years. So that's the appeal is that it is like a big boy comic. I think for me, what I like about it is 
that it's Swamp Thing as a character is like very um, rooted in emotion. You know, <laughs> like Swamp Thing is very much like a sad boy character, but like I think I think that's what connects with me is is that I think the characters that I find myself most drawn to are those that are rooted in emotion in some way, right? And like I think I I think of how um like Spider-Man for example, right, is my favorite character because I can relate to his struggles and the way that he deals with life and like trying to be a better person and it's it's like about the feeling the relation to his struggle. Whereas like I think with Swamp Thing what I like so much about it is it is very much a horror story but rather than a horror story that's rooted in um solely like the the very visceral emotion of like fear or violence or you know threat of death or any of those things that are hallmarks of the genre and can be really fun swamp thing is a horror story that's rooted in like sadness and like it kind of reminded me of uh, a movie that I saw years ago before I had read Swamp Thing, which was District Nine. I don't know if you've ever seen that, yeah. but it's yeah. similar, right? Where like the main character goes through this transformation, and it's a body horror type movie. And the the uh, penultimate scene in that in that film for me is like he breaks down and tries to like call his wife as he's turning into this monster, right? And it's not about oh these aliens are so scary or he's gonna die or be pulled apart. It's the idea of being a human but having your humanity stripped from you still feeling like a person but not being a person anymore and not being able to you know um like the struggle that he goes with with abby by like wanting to you know be with her and express physical love and not being able to and and that they have to overcome that challenge and like it's all these things that are like very unique twists on familiar horror tropes and familiar you know superhero tropes to some degree and all those kinds of things and like i don't know it's just swamp thing is a character that has such different energy and then seeing like the current run that that ram and and mike and mike are working on where it's like the inversion of that and taking all those themes and then trying to root them in a person rather than in a monster who wants to be a person and i don't know i just there's so much there that that works for me because it's just such a different flavor and sure, there is that capital L literary element to it, but I don't like. I'm not that kind of reader. I don't read things to feel smart. You know, that's I, I, you know. I know there's certainly a type of person that does do that, but um, that's certainly not what I'm getting out of it. You know. Yeah, I think what I mean by that is uh, because it is written by an, an a sensational writer in its original run. It has those qualities that good literature have that also impact readers yeah i'm not even disagreeing with that as a point it's just more for me the idea that like oh what you like swamp thing because it's pretentious is like no like i like swamp thing because it's earnest really we can distill it to its most simple component here people like swamp thing because it's good yeah but I think for me, it's it, it even goes beyond that, right? Like, I do like it because it's good, but I think the reason it's a he's a character that people connect with so much is because he's so unique among characters, let alone comic book characters, let alone DC characters, right? Yeah. Swamp Thing's its own beast. Anything you want to add before we move on, Kale? All right, you put that uh, so tremendously, truly. Cool. Um, 
the I guess the one the one thing I will add is um, uh, Kirk Thulu on the CBR no this comicbook.com article uh, tweeted name, uh, by the way <laughs> all joking aside Swamp Thing rules nothing wrong with enjoying a character that wants to largely live alone be literally one with nature and is generally beyond grumpy when they have to actually interact with people seriously <laughs> I love Swamp Thing just going back to the original thing I don't get why we put down what people like it's a shitty way to be frankly <laughs> you know yeah um like no you know no like shade at alex like i'm sure that this is just like a maybe a little bit yeah but like you know it's not it's not that deep or anything like that yeah, but it's just yeah, like yeah. this kind of like negativity online is just like i'm so over it i'm so over yeah. that kind of like dunking discourse like yeah. rather than talk about why you don't like swamp thing why don't you talk about something that you think is better and like bring that up with your platform right or also, like this is unprompted it's totally unprompted I know. Yeah. <laughs> or like critique it you yeah. know why don't you like it yeah what about it doesn't work for you i'm way more interested in that conversation yeah instead of like making it like an odd hominem thing where it's like ah oh, dudes why do you like it so yeah much? i don't get it is it just dudes who want it's it, it feels like it's like he's trying to throw the like um i think i think alex is a a, a lady she is a lady oh i'm sorry i didn't realize that um i apologize uh I feel like it, it has that kind of like, um, uh, like the bit like about like infinite jest, you know, like it's like that <laughs> yeah. kind of like energy to it a little bit. It's like, just let people enjoy their things. I don't know. But yeah, you know, that's all right. You don't have to like Swamp Thing, Alex. That's uh, fine. Yeah. But anyway, uh, let's, let's move on. Uh, as we move towards our main topic, there are some big shakeups at IDW this week. Um, the first of which that we're going to talk about is that Marvel has canceled the IDW Marvel action line. So I want to say this started in like 2016, maybe like it's been going for a couple years. I think I'm not totally sure on when this began, but, you know, IDW has had the Marvel license for like a, a bunch of all ages titles for a few years. There's like a Spider-Man book they had an Avengers book, Black Panther, Captain Marvel um, with like a, a couple, you know, fairly big name creators. And, you know, they're very much like the kind of like scholastic book market type book, you know, aimed at that reader. Um, so this comes from Rich Johnson over at Bleeding Cool. Uh, he broke the story and he said that he had learned that Marvel had pulled the license from IDW going forward. Uh, this is a direct quote from the article. He said, the phrase I'm hearing is that the line will be, quote unquote, sunset. When I asked for a comment, IDW told me, quote, while it's been a great pleasure crafting new tales of beloved Marvel heroes for middle grade readers, IDW Publishing will not be continuing with the Marvel action line of comics and trade paperbacks beyond our solicited December 2021 releases. We look forward to continuing continuing our strong partnership with Marvel on other projects, including our award-winning artist editions and artist selects. Uh, something that was interesting, though, is you know they say it's through December 2021. Rich goes on to add some context here. Uh, there are uh, like Marvel action Spider-Man number five is out next Wednesday. And then October still has uh, Origins number four um, scheduled through to number five, which is uh, I'm sorry. The, the final issue number five has been removed from solicitations. Um, and uh, he provides a screen cap that proves that it was there, but it's no longer there anymore. And then there are a few other books that were um, scheduled. It says here, the relaunch of Marvel Action Avengers was meant to come out in July with issues number one and two uh, now being scheduled for December and January. But there's no surety they won't be sent to the cornfield. And then there was an update that those issues had been canceled. 
Um, so pretty interesting because um, it seems like a fairly recent move um, that this decision was made. And I wonder if it has anything to do with our main topic, which we're going to jump into here in a minute, um, which is, you know, of course, that IDW is the latest comic publisher to leave Diamond and sign an exclusive deal with Penguin Random House. Didn't, yeah. Um, didn't Marvel sign with Penguin Random House? Yes. I don't think that's it. Oh, these these types of things happen. You know, they had a business relationship to publish these like uh, graphic novels and comics for people that are like uh, middle school aged. Um, I think uh, if I remember correctly, they suffered lateness issues uh, of being published on time. And I just don't know how popular they really were. And so it behooves you know, Marvel to be like, maybe we'll do something else. Yeah, I'm imagining that this is part of them wanting to pull and bring those kinds of books back in-house. Perhaps. Mm. Or have Penguin do them, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's kind of my thought, is that, like, maybe because IDW is making the jump, like, you know, at the same time that, you know, I don't know, they could be totally unrelated decisions, but I'm wondering if Marvel's just like, like, what what is the real benefit of us doing this at this point? Yeah, exactly. I mean, if it, it could be just a simple... Yeah, it's costing us more than we're making at this point. This this relationship at this point doesn't benefit us anymore. Yeah. So let's let's jump into the broader conversation here about IDW leaving Diamond and what that means for them. But I think even you know uh, more importantly, what it means for Diamond moving forward. So uh, this story, at least I think an hour purview started making the rounds when uh chris arant obviously um you know most known for being senior editor over at newsarama um had tweeted about it and i, I know that you know marco and kale were talking about it yesterday before it, the story really kind of broke um there were some rumblings about it uh but chris you know uh tweeted out idw publishing is ending its relationship with diamond and has signed on with penguin random house for direct market distribution to begin june 1st 2022 they already handled idw's book trade distribution so uh obviously huge news right um when when marvel uh teamed up with with penguin random house um it was news that really shook the industry and you know we talked all about how Penguin was was trying to do something a little bit different, you know, like that they they had some interesting initiatives. They were going to do certain things a little bit differently than Diamond. And I think at the time, I remember us wondering, like, will other publishers make the jump? And now, of course, we see IDW uh, is, you know, the the next one to do so. Um, before we get into all the nitty gritty of it, what's your kind of initial reaction to the news? Kale, I'd love Good. for you. I was gonna say I'd love for you Good. to start because I know you hate Diamond and you've been so excited every time somebody leaves them in the dust. This spells the beginning of the end. <laughs> All right, Palpatine. How about you, Phil? How you feeling? Uh, well, I'm a little confused because the uh, Bleeding Cool article says they assigned an exclusive distribution deal with Penguin Random uh, House. But then while I'm reading the comicbook.com article, uh, it says that uh, the deal is non-exclusive, allowing retailers to choose between Penguin Random House and Diamond Comics distri distributors. God damn it. Just let them die. <laughs> I mean, that's that's also how it works with Marvel, if okay. you recall. Okay. Um, mm. It was that essentially, um, 
and, and I'm, I'm a little fuzzy on the details because it's been a while since we talked about that, but I believe it's essentially that Diamond can go through Penguin. So, like, if you already order all your material from Diamond and you want to continue to order Mar- Marvel Comics that way, I think they basically act as a middleman for you. I'm, I mean, the, the reality is Penguin is a bigger, better company than Diamond. They can do what Diamond does a lot better and more efficiently. And that article on comicbook.com raises the point that Penguin presents an opportunity to expand IDW's reach beyond North America. I mean, to me, that's a no-brainer. And Yeah, that's huge. You you, you live in North America. Yeah, but that's a I no-brainer can, for me. Yeah, exactly. I can now go to South America, Kale, and I can get my IDW books. God, and you should. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. It, I, it seems like more and more publishers are re- realizing that this is just a some benefit to to their publishing line to get away from Diamond. And uh, there is some some new kind of wrinkles in the story too. Like I know one of the things we talked about um, at the time was how Penguin had a, a pretty, like I said, they were really trying to like distribute comics a little bit differently. And uh, in the Bleeding Cool article, they call out that Penguin Random House fourth and newest distribution fil- uh, facility, which is a one million square foot warehouse in Hampstead, Maryland, um, just recently became operational and uh, is in tandem with the company's fulfillment headquarters uh, in Westminster, which is also just close by in Maryland. Those are going to be the centerpieces for its comics uh, direct market supply chain. So like they are obviously heavily investing in comic books to open up an entirely new distribution center that is tailored to putting out comics. Sorry, that's Penguin just opened this warehouse. Penguin just opened that. Yeah, that's their fourth and, and newest distribution facility right wow. near the headquarters. Mm. Uh, so here's a here's a statement from IDW on the matter. This comes from IDW's publisher uh, Nashi Marsum, who wrote. Uh, I almost just said who wrote in. Sorry, who released the statement and said IDW succeeds when the direct market succeeds. No matter how amazing our comics and graphic novels may be, it's the retailers that are connecting readers with our stories. Because of that, I couldn't be more excited about our future with Penguin Random House, and I have the utmost confidence that every store, no matter the size, will see the benefits of the high levels of care and service that. Penguin Random House. It's P R H P S brings. It's Penguin. Penguin Random House brings. Um, and then we also got a statement from this is the president of Penguin Random House who said IDW have been wonderful partners these past five years, and it's been thrilling to see the evolution of its publishing program and to support the phenomenal growth of their graphic novels into the book trade. With Penguin Random House's expansion in in the direct market, we see this as a natural extension of that partnership and look forward to putting the expertise of Penguin Random House's supply chain, customer knowledgeability, and sales know-how and solutions. Uh, I'm sorry, customer knowledgeability and sales know-how and solution-centered customer service to bring IDW comics and graphic novels to even more fans throughout the world. And that's the thing. That was another one of those things. Like, the Penguin Random House, like, you get, like, a specific agent with them. Like, there were all these perks and stuff that they could offer um, that are just really things that, like, Diamond doesn't, doesn't, you know, and, and doesn't have as an alternative to um, and the fact that they already had a, a relationship with Penguin Random House, it's not necessarily surprising that they've decided to to make this jump as well. Yeah, and 
there's a point down here at the bottom of the Bleeding Cool article where it says um, the IDW deal is very similar to the Marvel one uh, that they signed up for. Uh, Diamond will still be able to distribute uh, Marvel comics, but on far worse terms than they used to be able to. That's it. Yeah, they sell as a wholesaler. That was yeah. the thing. Yeah. And, and Penguin Random House terms are better for smaller shops, but worse for larger ones. Um, so, I don't know. It, it It's one of those things that presents greater opportunities to put these books in more places where people have access to them. Um, you know, we've talked on this show for years now, uh, how the issues are wrought with diamonds distribution of comics. Kale has been incredibly outspoken about this. Um, it, it behooves IDW to actually try to sell more books so that mm. people have more eyes on them. And another little wrinkle here at the end of the article that I thought was interesting is uh, back in April, it was revealed that IDW was actually operating under an expired distribution agreement with Diamond. Um, And for comic stores and Penguin Random House for bookstores, but we're continuing to operate under that agreement. Um, So this is is likely an update to that story. And it had me wondering (laughs) of like, I wonder what the timing on Diamond... um, agreements are like because hmm. like if, if a lot of them are are were signed or re-signed on like similar ish timelines because right you see like marvel backed out i don't know if that was an ex- expiration or if they just made that decision but um seeing this here it's like I, I wonder if we're gonna see even more publishers consider making the jump i i don't think we'd see dc do it um, and I saw Chris on, on Twitter agreed with that sentiment, just doesn't think that they'll make that jump because they're kind of, I think, trying to build their own thing. But mm. the idea that, like, you know, maybe some of the other mid to to small size publishers, like, might make that jump, I don't think seems crazy. Yeah, I mean, if, like, a boom leaves. Or image. Or image or Dark Horse. I mean, at that point, what is was diamond distributing at that point. And, you know, it's a problem by their own creation for years. There have been ton of brick and mortar complaints of their relationship with diamond and, and their bad customer service and things like that. It is worth uh, pointing out too. I and Sean's usually the one to do this, that there are a lot of other people who do like diamond and sing their praises and have not been happy about some of the shifts up shifts as well. You know, uh, you bring up uh, DC aren't they being distributed by lunar at this point? They, they got away from diamond in 2020. They were the first ones to do it. It's lunar. And then they had the other one, but I think that relationship has stopped was the last update. Cause it was yeah. lunar and, and midtown comics. Yeah. Yes. But it was like their sub brand. It was under a different name. Yeah. 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 It was a subsidiary called UCSC. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. And I think that that partnership has since, since stopped. Um, so at this point, diamond is doing some distribution for Marvel. They'll be doing, some distribution for IDW on a much smaller scale. Of course, um, margins. Yeah. Um, like, how long is that sustainable? Like, how many more publishers can you lose before that's a real problem? Yeah, I mean, when you look at the pie charts, any given period of time, Marvel m- makes up, like, 33% of, like, comic sales, and DC makes up, like, 26% of, of comic sales. That's half a pie chart right there. You throw in IDW, which at any given time i'm making up these numbers but it's like roughly like between like seven and 15 percent uh i don't think they're closer to the the lower end of that. yeah i think so too 
Because I think um, Image is, is consistently also number like three, 30%. and they're like in the like 10 to 15 range, maybe. Um, so, I mean, th- th- these are huge blows to Diamond. I'd, I don't know what they can do at this point. So let's hear from let's hear from Steve Geppi, uh, Jeppy, and then I'll I'll uh, he's the, of course the president, chairman, and uh, CEO of uh, Geppi Family Enterprises and the owner of Diamond. Um, we've heard from him a lot during these stories. Uh, I'll read his statements and then I'll let Kel respond. Uh, I would like to thank IDW for their many years of partnership, and we are delighted to continue selling IDW comics, trades, and graphic novels to our retail customers as a wholesaler effective June uh, 1st, 2022. At Diamond, we understand the unique needs of the direct and book markets and work hard every day to service and support all the stakeholders in our industry, from developing sales tools and launching new services to organizing industry-wide events and engaging with fans on our consumer platforms. Diamond is consistently creating and evolving new and easier ways for publishers, retailers, and fans to connect. I am proud of the role that Diamond plays, and I look forward to our continued service of the direct and book markets. And then, Bitch, when? <laughs> go ahead, Kale. Go off. I'll read his, his second comment after. You can... Bitch, when? Yeah, I did think it was interesting that he would mention the developing sales tools and stuff like that when there's kind of been that ongoing conversation of, you know, they were... Um, working on that like that new system and everything yeah. and that they just have a lot of kind of outdated technology um that that stores are are kind of um made to deal with the even even the um the comic shop i go to over here worlds apart is a member of the forbidden planet family which is the like the the big comic shop chain. sort of brand over here chain yeah owned uh i sort of in partnership i think by uh titan comics but um the this shop can't even get uh <clears throat> can't even get their comics from diamond and it's down the road like the diamond warehouse is in manchester 30 minutes away what <laughs> can i ask you a question kill uh anecdotally sure. have you noticed uh since marvel or has that switched fully taken over i don't think think so okay i was gonna say yeah not that i I know i I don't know when when that was supposed to go into effect because i was gonna say i wonder if you had noticed a difference in the distribution of marvel comics since they they switched over but now that i'm thinking about it that probably hasn't happened yet uh but i'm also not a weekly reader um the 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 latest anecdote i have is a year old actually at this point uh the um the first ultraman series that marvel put out i called to pre-order that and the guy straight up told me he doesn't know when it could come in because they don't get their stuff on time so i just looked this up uh the deal for marvel goes into effect in october actually so yeah right around the corner so we'll have information about that sooner or later um but all right, so this was the other. This was the the note that uh, that Steve Geppi wrote to uh, retailers, where he said, "As IDW Publishing announced today, effective June first, Diamond will act as a wholesaler to the direct market for IDW comics, trades, and graphic novels. We are working through details, including reviewing discount terms, and will communicate any changes well in advance. Rest assured, Diamond remains your one stop shop for IDW comics, trades, and graphic novels, as well as your largest single source for comics, games, collectibles, and hundreds of other amazing pop culture products." Each 
each month. Diamond has always been highly focused on the specialized needs of comic retailers, and we continue to invest in your success. We look forward to seeing you at our virtual retailer summit September 26th and 27th, as this is a fantastic opportunity to connect with your fellow retailers, learn more about the tools Diamond has created to help grow your business, and hear about new product announcements from multiple publishers, including IDW. We are devoted to serving your needs each and every day, and I thank you for your continued trust and support. I gotta say, uh, that feels like a little bit like, oh, you're definitely gonna stay with us, right? Of course you would, right? Because we're the we're the the king, we're the best, you know. Yeah. And it it is kind of, you know, it feels like that's gonna become an increasingly hard thing for them to argue, right? Because Penguin is gonna be probably offering better margins and better deals on these books. Or at the very least, I mean, like, you know, because he said, like, we have to uh, review discount terms, right? So, like, what is that going to mean? Because <laughs> even if you don't want to switch off of Diamond, if the books are going to cost you more, that's that's it. And if it's on top of the fact that Penguin has these other, you know, um, these other things that ex- these other tools that exist to support comic book shops and retailers... Yeah, I mean, it becomes a harder and harder argument to make for, like, why you stay with Diamond, right? Because you already are seeing a decentralization from them as the quote-unquote one-stop shop. And while I'm sure that that's ideal and convenient for for comic store owners, um, you know, like, also to Phil's point, right? With Penguin, you have the ability to access new markets and potentially expand your reach and, and, you know, get more people looking at your books. Um, Those are all things that are hard to ignore. I don't know, Pete. I have a good feeling about Diamond right now. All boats are rising around it. I think it's. I think now is the time for us to strike. I think not only should we invest in Diamond, but we should also apply and get jobs there. I've tried. <laughs> <laughs> that's why Kale hates them so much. The truth finally comes out. Oh no, that's that's not why. I'm just a chill to anybody who will pay me. I love the idea that you applied and they were like, oh, great, he's got a podcast. And they listen and then he's just like, fuck Diamond. Oh, that's I what like, it was. I like the idea of him having a job and he'd be like, actually, guys, Diamond's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I love them. They signed my paycheck. <laughs> but uh, you can always expect integrity from the comics, pals. That that's is... right. Which one? Oh, me. I'm the one with the integrity. Well, you're the serious one, right? I'm the serious pal. Of course. Of course. I am full of integrity. Just chop. I do, I do love um, the idea that um, Steve Jeppy is going to get up at the next uh, publisher retailer the event summit. or whatever. Yeah. And he's going to get up to the podium. It's just wiping the sweat from his forehead. Ooh, been a tough year in comics, huh? <laughs> Looking like Nixon <laughs> at the debate. <laughs> Everyone else is like, actually, this was a really good year for us. Yeah. Comics are thriving. It's going to be an interesting question, I think, what comes out of that summit, right? September 26th and 27th. I wonder if Diamond is like, you know, he's talking a lot about um, tools Diamond has created to help grow your business, those kinds of things. I wonder if some of those products that they've been kind of talking around the last couple of years, um, if they're going to have some announcements for us at the end of this month in an effort to, you know, maintain some of that, that market share diamond yeah surely it would be too late i mean i i think that's that might be the case but no they go up there and they're just like guys we have exciting announcements 
We're going to promise shipments on time. Have, he gets up there in a turtleneck like Steve Jobs. Have you heard of this incredible invention? The World Wide Web. <laughs> they call it the information superhighway. The, the world is at your fingertips. Quite literally. We can guarantee diamond distribute uh, uh, retailers that are with diamond distributors can get their books only two weeks late. <laughs> cool. Just the rupturous applause. <laughs> on on this slide, you will see a man on a surfboard because we're gonna surf the web and glide these things, your books to shore on time. I you can't well, say surf weeks. the web. Every time I I just think of Venom now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I really wonder, and this could be part of the uh, end of the year predictions we do, if Diamond survives 2022 or if they have to file for bankruptcy. That would be a good question. I I feel like they will almost definitely survive 2022. It's beyond that that I guess will be the question. Yeah. yeah, I think I think the 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 kink in that argument is the um you know the fact that people are still working with them. You know, they do they they do still have you know the the wholesale whatever, you know. Well, and there's multiple publishers, right, who are still that's their yeah. that's their distributor, you know? Um uh, uh, yeah, for now, but uh, you know, each of the ones that have left so far have do still have something with diamond right right exactly exactly it's just a matter of i guess how many pieces of that pie can you pull away before there's not enough left for for diamond to be a sustainable business model right and i i guess that's the question and you know who's to say right like they might be able to respond to this and and offer some new technology or some you know more competitive rates or something but i don't know i feel like they got a real uphill battle because penguin has more resources than they do yeah like if penguin continues to invest it's gonna be hard for them to compete i think Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah they definitely won't but you're right they could uh well now they reach out to one kale ward it's like listen we have options now tell us more about kale ward comics (laughs) Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, you got my number, Steve Cappy. <laughs> Check out my uh my application you threw out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that email where employers are like, we'll keep your uh name on file. Yes, exactly. It, yeah, Steve Jeppy actually has a, a filing cabinet. <laughs> Fuck, we gotta find that. <laughs> His Rolodex. <laughs> we lost your name because we accidentally put it under V. We thought your name was Kale Vord. Okay. Stupid joke. <laughs> I hate that. I hate that. So on that note, uh, we're going to end the episode here. If you want to yeah. write in with your thoughts on IDW's uh, partnership with Penguin Random House and what it means for Diamond or any of the other stuff we talked about today, uh, remember, you can write into us at thecomicspals at gmail.com. Come join our Discord. And uh, yeah, come be, come be a part of the continuing conversation offline. Um, and then, of course, you know, show your support however you can. Share the show. Like it. Uh, if you've got a comic reader in your life and you think that they'd enjoy what we do or the community that we're here building, uh, come be a part of it. We'd love to have you. All right. So before we get out of here, let's do some plugs. Uh, I usually go first. So Pete. Okay. So I'm Pete. Uh, you can follow me at loud underscore Pete on Twitter and Instagram. Um, you can 
listen to my band long friend time friend wherever you get your music our debut album if me dies me dies uh came out earlier this year it's pretty good if you like noisy punk rock go check it out and uh then you can also go check out my video game podcast uh over on flipscreen.games that's the website with links to all the places that we are go check it out kale thank you so much for listening to this episode of the comics pals uh I think everyone will agree with me that Pete did an okay job hosting, except there was one glaring bat-shaped omission. It's Batman Day. Is today Batman Day? Today, today, Saturday, September 18th. Oh my God, Kale, why did you wait until now? The day that Bruce Wayne's parents were murdered, and it's the day that we celebrate that. Oh, good. So quickly... Pete, who's your favorite Batman? My favorite Batman? No! Okay, uh, the animated series Batman. It's, it's Kevin Conroy. Mine is also Kevin Conroy. Mine is also Kevin Conroy. Four <laughs> random questions this week. That's got to be an all-time record, Kale. If you want to listen to our thoughts on Batman, in the ancient times of 2017, we did an episode all about Batman. Is episode twelve of oh the Comics Pals, titled "Na na 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 blank space." Please don't listen. <laughs> That's our latest Batman content. Um, all about Batman. All all about the things we like we about Batman. Two Batman books this week. That's not Batman enough, and you know it for Batman Day. Okay, we did Batman Gothic as a book club. That's not Batman enough, and you know it. <laughs> episode twelve. 2017 godspeed yeah, you can find me on twitter and instagram at toto in that's t-o-t-o-i-n-t-o-w you can find my work at kaleward.com c-a-l-e-w-a-r-d.com you can find marco at mr animoto mr nope. marco animoto ah shit <laughs> mr batman animoto you can find sean at sean soapbox and where can you find phil uh you can find phil at definitely not sean so i mean uh you can follow phil at cyborg bebop on twitter and instagram um so, last year, I watched the entirety of the original Dragon Ball, and I was going to take that momentum into Dragon Ball Z. I watched the Saiyan Saga, and then I got to the Frieza Saga, which is the most poorly paced like story arc in TV history. Holy shit. And I could not get through it. Um, my understanding that is that the manga adaptation is better. It's just while the show is being produced... It was on top of the manga release, and they had to pad that out because they the, the oh. production time was too in sync. Um, for the longest time, I've put off watching Dragon Ball Z Kai, which is... Oh, I was just about to bring that up. I was going to say, you should watch that. Which is the adaptation of Dragon Ball Z that cuts out all the filler, and in some portions are reanimated. I finally decided to pick it up this week, and watching the Frieza saga in that format is a pleasure and is a breeze so i think finally i will actually get through all of dragon ball z for the first time in like 20 years um i'll just watch it through kai um so yeah talk to me about the frieza saga because it really is very good i and my, for my money like everything up to the frieza saga is that franchise at its best up to the frieza saga mm-hmm. what about cell games bro Sounds pretty good cell is really good Maybe I'll change my mind when I rewatch it. Okay. You know? Well, you know what? Majin Buu? Uh, I like Majin Buu, but... I mean, listen, it's no sell, for sure. But... Anyway, apparently it's the Dragon Ball Pals now, so, okay. Yes, sir. Uh, so, I'm pushing that every week. Uh, this will be uh, me saying goodbye for the Comics Pals. 
We'll see you next week. And then now for our brand new podcast, The Dragon Ball Pals. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week. This podcast is over 9,000 hours. <laughs>